You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Delise Simmons, Chief Culture Officer at the Culture Think Tank. Delise has been a leader in the area of organizational development and human capital for more than 25 years. Her dynamic style and extensive experience have produced exceptional corporate cultures and leaders companies such as Southwest Airlines, Office Depot, JetBlue Airways, and many others. In her time at Southwest, Delise developed and delivered leadership training called University for People to thousands of employees during the time they were rated one of the top 10 companies to work for in America. At the Culture Think Tank, Delise helps to make the world a better place through performance analytics and research. With her team, they focus on identifying and quantifying the metrics that drive workplace performance and providing the insights. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Delise discuss Delise's journey into people and cultures and her time at Southwest Airlines under Herb Kelleher's leadership, Delise's work at JetBlue Airways, and strategies on how to define the culture, core values, and behaviors, and the culture think tank and workplace culture trends in the hybrid and virtual environments, and why culture is everyone's job, not just an HR function. Before we dive into today's episode, our team would like to share an observation. We believe the number one challenge in this hybrid and virtual workplace is building relationships. We sometimes take for granted that people know by default how to build trust and how to sustain strong relationships. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. Be sure to check out a sample of our one-hour series on building relationships at scalingculture.org. Now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today... All the way from San Antonio, we've got Delise Simmons, the Chief Culture Officer at the Culture Think Tank. Delise, welcome. Good morning. How are you doing? It's early. It's bright and early where you are. It's 745, so the sun is uh, peeking over my head behind I me. I can see it. It's beautiful. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. It's a bright, sunny day in South Texas, yes. Well, look, th- thanks for giving us your time today. I was really um, excited uh, knowing you were joining, I know you've got an, an incredible history, which which I'm excited to dive into. You know, you've spent some time at Southwest. That's to me, that's one of the top brands on the planet. As far as we, we know, when someone thinks of culture, I feel like that's probably the first company they go to for a company that, for the most part, gets it right. And so I know you've got lots of lots of history there. But let's rewind. What was what got you into people and culture? You know, caring about culture. What was your aha moment to say? hey, I should really, I, I like this, I enjoy this, and, and want to do more of it. I, it's a great question. I graduated from the University of Texas and did not think that I would be doing what I'm doing now. Um, I got a, a job with Southwest Airlines just fresh out of college, and I was given opportunities that did not befit my age. I, they gave me a lot of opportunity very quickly, and it was kind of one of those sink or swim, rise to the occasion or not. And so I knew immediately I loved um loved helping people love their job. Um, and I, I got my start at one of the best, as you mentioned, it's a legendary culture. And um, that's, I was immersed in it at the very beginning of my career. So when you say they, they allowed you to do that, what was that? Was it like a generalist when you started, when they, when they were like, you do things that maybe you hadn't had training for? What was that first role? Well, Herb Kelleher was the president, chairman and CEO at the time when I was there. And Herb gave me and a couple of other people an opportunity. He, it was back in the late 1980s, and we were, we didn't use corporate culture in our vernacular; it just wasn't available to us. Um, customer service, pardon me. The, when you say you didn't use it, you mean the yeah, word? Yeah, we didn't. Culture? Yeah, those words. It just wasn't what we. No one was talking about company culture at that time. 
uh, but Herb pulled a couple of us aside and, and was talking about customer service. And he said, you know what? I want to do, I want to do something better than that. I want to do, and he kind of paused from it. And he said, I want to do employee service. So what I want you to do is go, go find out who's doing employee service the best. And this is pre-internet, pre-Google. Um, we looked at, you know, we had periodicals and the yellow pages and scoured the country for who was doing this kind of employee service the best, which is today's corporate culture. So we got the chance to go scour the country, meet with people, get, uh, get uh, a lot of education underneath our belts. And then we came back and helped create the Southwest Airlines University for people. Well, which is least, their, who was the best back then? Who was the best? I'm curious. Uh, it, small organizations, not in, people that you probably wouldn't recognize. We went to, to uh, everywhere we could, um, but the smaller organizations at that time just seemed to be doing things a little bit better than the large ones. And so you said you came back to start the university. Was it because, look, we're much larger. We're going to have to design this. We, we're going to be much more thoughtful than four people at a, in a basement kind of getting along well, servicing each other well. Is that correct? Or Yeah, we knew we had, at that time, when I worked there, uh, we had a thousand leaders that would go through, would, would be available to go through our training. Before we started that, our training at Southwest Airlines was, you know, pilots did their training, flight attendants did theirs, very siloed, operations did their own training. And what Herb wanted to do at the university was have all of the supervisors, managers, leaders from all the disciplines come in together in a, a heterogeneous mix of departments, but all having supervisory or better titles. And the executives would go through our training too. So Herb Kelleher would be in one of our classes, sitting there for a week, taking notes and asking questions as any good wow. servant leader would do. Wow. And was it tightening up what you already had or was this a big shift? Was it like, okay, this, we're not getting it right. So Herb's like, look, we, we need to do something. I want to double down. And, and, you know, with that, were people pushing back and saying, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I'm not interested. Yeah, not so much. They weren't pushing back. They, there were 13,000 employees when I started. And I think he knew how big we were going to get. It, the culture at Southwest Airlines was, it started off very kind of cult of personality. Herb Kelleher had a very big personality. He knew everyone. He knew them by name. He knew your parents, your kids, your husband, your wife. Um, and then as he knew that he wasn't going to be able to keep that up as we got bigger. So he wanted to systematize what he had already built within the organization so that it could scale. Yeah, that's really, really smart. So he, he knew, look, based on the vision I have for this business, I need to proactively get in front of this. I'm not going to be able to keep my finger on this pulse of culture well, for that much longer. He would tell us all the time, we're not in the aviation business, we're not in the transportation business, we're in the people business. So if we can treat our people the way that we need to treat them, then the customers will come. And when, if you go back to that time, least what was the biggest challenge when you tried to, I'm going to say shift or upgrade or define or design your culture? What was one of the biggest challenges you were faced with back then? It's funny. The culture at Southwest is, is strong and palpable. As you grow, though, there's a lot of lamentation around it's not the same as it used to be. So as you grow, it's not ever going to be the same as it used to be. Your culture is very fluid. It's dynamic. It's going to change. And we can either intentionally help it grow in the direction we want to, or it's going to grow regardless. So our biggest pushback was trying to get the people that wanted it to be the way it was to be able to embrace the way it needs to be. And I'm going to, I want to talk about JetBlue for a second as we're on the airline topics. 
it sounds like you had some experience building that from scratch. Did you use some of the tools from Southwest? And and, and let's let's chat chat about the JetBlue and how you started from scratch there, because that's that to me is even more challenging in some cases. Correct? Sure. Well, the the gentleman who started JetBlue Airways was a guy by the name of David Nealman. Um, he, by the way, just started a new airline in the United States called Breeze Airways. So um, he's he's made his stamp in commercial aviation all over the map. Um, but he left. Uh, he was on the board at Southwest Airlines. We had acquired uh, his first uh, airline called Morris Air. So we acquired them at, when we were at Southwest. And then he went to create JetBlue. And he brought a couple of us from Southwest and said, I want to start a, a new airline, a competitor. And it became JetBlue was the largest startup airline in commercial aviation history. Uh, and did we take some stuff from Southwest? Yes, absolutely we did. And for you, what what made the shift? You know, it sounds like you were, you know, totally involved uh, in the Southwest culture. You had direct lines with Herb. Why why the shift for you? Just an opportunity to do to build something, to build something great. And I, I went to him. I went to Herb and, and told him what I'd been uh, invited to do and how how did he feel about it. And he embraced it with his arms wide open. Just said, "You you got to go do that." There to start an airline is you don't get the chance to do that very often. And I say, go for it. Wow. What, what a, that guy's just an incredible leader, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so, so let's fast forward. What did that look like? You walked in, it was like, whoa, we probably, I don't know if the word culture was being used at that point, but you certainly were there to create it. What was your first steps? The truly, we, we wanted to hire the right people. So what we want, when you're hiring people to your culture, you know what your culture looks like, but when you haven't figured out what your culture is going to be. You want to hire people that you think will model this, this thing that will become your culture. So we were very meticulous about how we decided we were going to approach the entire hiring process. And once we got about 50 people that we had hired, then we did the first exercise that I encourage all organizations to do, and that's create your organization's values and not well, just so, values. But, but Delise, sorry. Yes, I'm just ahead. curious. You, you, you actually hired and then created that sounded backwards to me. Well, we didn't want it to, we were creating it from the outside in and we wanted the values to become from the inside out. So we, we figured we knew the kind of people we were hiring. We were hiring people from the aviation world that we knew um, that we knew had this kind of camaraderie and spirit. That's that you know, is ready to go uh, be a, a, you know, to, to have the spirit to start a new airline. You've got to have a whole lot to you. Um, but then we wanted to create the values based on what they wanted, not based on what we believed we wanted. So this was a, an exercise from this group of 50 or a select number of them, not the founder kind of running that, correct? Correct. Wow, that's interesting. That's uh, I, I haven't heard that before. I, I typically always hear that it starts from the founder and then is kind of tightened up through through some key staff members. So that must have been, a, was, I mean, it sounds like there was some alignment on the hiring practice but it must've been a tough exercise. What was, what did that, can you post, let us be a fly in the wall. What did that look like? Well, and it's the, it's the exercise that we do, that I do in my work. It's, we bring a cross section of, of the organization together. In that case, it was everyone in the organization, um, but, but with others as well. And we talk about your, your organization's values being what you, what you look like. You recognize yourself in those values, but they're also aspirational. So they're not how we look every day, but how we look on our very best day. So with JetBlue, what do we want this airline to look like from the start on its very, very best day? And that's how we, we decide to create the values. And the values are important, but more important than the values are the behaviors. And behaviors are 
if we have five organizational values, we need some descriptors underneath that. Because if, if let's say integrity is a value of ours, if I've got 10 people in the room, there's going to be 10 different ideas of what integrity looks like. So we want to behaviorally define each value so that our employees are very clear as to how to behave and how to, how to have success. And back then, were you able to rally everyone behind, you know, however values you created plus the underlying kind of descriptors? Was, or were there people that was there a large debate that said, look, I, I'm, I'm not in for that word or that description. I'm out. Was there some division then? Not really division. A lot of conversation, a lot of, you know, if we're, if we're really building this the way we want to, we had people, obviously, as I mentioned, from commercial aviation. So what we were able to do, too, is say what worked well in our previous lives and what didn't. Um, if you don't put something new into the mix, then you're not going to get anything different. So we wanted to do, you know, really call the best of the best in order to create what we created in JetBlue. And then what from there, how did you move to to keeping them alive and executing and, and letting them kind of breathe within the organization? Was it then, I think you mentioned the university um, starting to build that out or? Yeah, so we, we take those behaviors, the values and behaviors, and I want to I want to deep drill them into the organization so that they can't ever come out. So I want those values and behaviors to be part of the recruiting process, the interviewing process, your performance management process, the way you reward and recognize. So we literally, you build the framework of the organization with those values and behaviors. And it just becomes very clear who we are and, and what we're about. And that's, that's where we get to culture. And how do you know from the past and even today with the work you do, at least if you're getting that right, like what is it just simple surveys? How do you know if you're getting it right? Well, before we didn't, and it was very anecdotal. And I think that's why culture is this kind of esoteric concept that people don't think that they can get their head around, but we've, we've defined it in our own, in our world as the, the collection of the behaviors of the people within an organization is how we define culture. Now, how they behave is influenced by a lot of things, um, but what they do, the way that we actually behave with one another, um, with our customers, with ourselves, um, is how we, our culture is uh, alive and breathing is through those behaviors. So we know that we're getting it right if the behaviors are keeping our people happy, keeping them engaged, keeping our customers coming back um, and keeping our employees growing within the organization. What are you seeing today? You know, as I talk to leaders and even in my own business, it seems like, you know, as everyone's trying to come to the end of this pandemic and there's, you know, leaders are landing on hybrid, you know, workplace cultures or workplace, um, you know, um, commitments, I guess. Some people are all in, all out, three days, two days, shifts. I'm hearing so much. What are you seeing? What are the things that, that companies need to focus on to keep culture alive because it is getting a little messy, you know? Well, the culture think tank is where I'm, I'm the chief culture officer at the culture think tank. We're a research organization. So we are researching what are the behaviors that are leadership behaviors that are moving the needle on culture the fastest. We also track, so we have a culture score. We can track the well-being of your employees. We can track the anxiety level of your employees because anxiety is you know, one of the biggest predictors of employees not being happy and not sticking around. 75% um, of millennials have said that they have already left a job because of some mental health issue. So the well-being of our employees is, is very important. Now our, our tool is we ask five questions. It takes fewer than five minutes and we do it every month um, with our clients. They can do it quarterly, but the best results we're getting are monthly. 
And um, we ask these five questions and it allows an organization to quantify their culture, to quantify their well-being, and then we can show them the behaviors necessary to move that needle on culture and well-being. So, you, so, so it sounds like a full cycle. You take the data and then provide some execution strategies on how to combat yeah, the and our, our dashboard gives an action plan. So leaders have in their hands an action plan every day, what they need to work on in order to improve their culture, improve well-being of their employees. It's, it's a great tool. And uh, it's, I think it's important for us to keep our finger on the pulse, especially in these, this world where we're moving back into our workspace or to your point, we're deciding to do a little bit differently. So we want to know how our employees are doing along the way, um, because if we keep them engaged with us, then they'll uh, in turn do what we want them to do for the organization for our customers. Well, it's interesting. So pre-pandemic, um, my business, we were hybrid. So the, the pandemic didn't really bother us for the most part. But what I was noticing and what I'm seeing with other organizations is, you know, there's this pull push thing. Um, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. So, so yes, I think there's a large amount of employees that want to work from home. But then there's this silo happening that they, 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 they now don't get to build relationships. So there is this loneliness, which also causes burnout. Right. And so we, we, we're actually just going through our strategic planning session. We've got um, our third day today. And we've been talking about being much more intentional about building relationships because the, we don't have the water cooler talk. And so, right. you know, I feel it's our job to double down as a leader. And how do you, how do you encourage and guide staff members to build relationships? Like what are the tools? And, and funny enough, you know, as I was writing the book, Scaling Culture, Holly Delaney, who's on an advisory committee with, with Sherry, who we spoke about, you know, she said, Ron, you know, these are great topics. I agree with these. But the one thing that's missing is building relationships. You can't do any of this stuff, change management, any of this stuff without the relationship. And so one of the things we did for our, our quarterly is have everyone read that chapter, because I think it was a bit of an aha moment that I believe that we're at a place where companies actually take for granted the tools that it takes to build relationships. I just don't think, you know, I don't think, I think when you hire someone, you say, Hey, Delise, welcome to the company. I assume you know how to build a relationship. I don't put you through like, this is how to build relationships. Here's the tools on how to build trust with someone. Here's the tools on how to listen uh, really well. And I feel like now that might be coming back to the forefront that this, this foundational uh, thing that we always took for granted is now needed. What are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting, and you know, I, I trust the Gallup research is is uh, being fairly gold. And um, you know, Gallup in their Q12, one of the questions that they ask, they've always asked to to determine engagement is, um, I have a best friend at work, and that is a huge question in terms of how an employee feels committed to the organization. It's difficult to create that kind of relationship. If you, if you don't see anybody, it's, it's, it, so yes, I, I think it's, it is data driven that one of the re reasons why people stay in a job is because they have something that they really trust. That's a friend and we've got to do things to cultivate those friendships. Part of it can happen too, if we hire well. So if we hire people that fit the culture, then the chances of us connecting are better than if we have a bad hiring system that, that we're bringing people that don't really fit our culture, it makes it more difficult. I agree, but I still think in this environment, it's just naturally 
harder. So, you know, our hiring practice stayed the same, but if, if you and I are on the same team, but we never really spend any time, we don't really, it's harder for our energy to connect like this. It just, you know, and, and to have these, this becomes, at least I've found in the, the video conferencing environment, it's, it's 95% transactional. Maybe we, we say hi quickly because we jumped on the meeting early. Hey, how are you? Hey, nice sunshine behind you, but that's it. It's not like it was. Right. And I so, agree. Yes. If, if you and I, if you and I were in the same space, it would feel different. We would get to know each other better, faster. So yes, to your point, having strategies around that for your organization is, is critical. Um, even if you know, we've, we've been through, the world has been through a two-year shock and just re-entering, even if we're back into our same workspaces, things changed. So we need to have our finger on that. I, I, I work on values-based cultures all the time. And if you would have told me that I would have said this three years ago, I would have said, no way. I think it's time to relook at our values, our organization's values and say, do they still fit? They still work? They might. It might be, yes, we've, we've done an assessment and we feel good about it. But I think you need to audit your values and see if they're still, you know, what got you here might not get you there, uh, just to make sure that we are on this right path. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think some people's view on values are these are foundational things from the founder and they should never move. But it sounds like you and I are both in the belief that it's like your customer experience. You need to go back and upgrade, redesign, ensure that they fit the company you are today and the company you want to become to, to your point on Southwest before. Yes. And one of the things, the trends that we're noticing in, in that area, the millennial generation and younger, one of the things they're looking for, or a couple of things they're looking for in a, in a, job. One is flexibility is obviously very important to them. Um, they also want it to work for an organization that that does something for their community. And I don't mean to, to categorize the entire generation, but that is a trend from this generation. So one of the values that one of the things we're seeing in values is organizations are adding a value to their, their foundational values that has something to do with giving back to the community. Some philanthropic arm. And that's kind of the, the next iteration of values is it, what are you doing beyond just your own job? You know, what is, what is your organization doing to be a good steward in your community? Well, I feel really good because one of our last values is servitude, gratitude. And in that, some of the language is giving back in our own ways. And we design it like that to not say, hey, we're behind this charity and you have to join us. It was, hey, everybody should be doing that, helping, helping those who need. And so, yeah, good. I feel great about that. Good. That's, that's where we need, need to be to attract good talent. And so go, let's go back to this, you know, challenge that we were talking about, which is relationships. How are you guiding or, or, you know, if that comes up in the data through your customers that use, that are using an app, what are some of the, here's what you should do to help with that. You know, what, what are some of the guidance you're giving or seeing in some of the best practices for those who need to rebuild relationships at work? Well, the, the first thing that we do is, is to identify kind of where's the breakdown. So if, if relationships are, are the issue, we look at, at a couple of things. We look at things like trust. We look at fear. We look at anxiety um, and identify where the, where the breakdown is so that we're solving the right problem. Um, it, I like to see organizations bring where they can um, bring their people together at least in some intentional way on a regular basis. Now that might be every week for some organizations, it might be every quarter for other organizations, but that there is some intentionality of, of bringing people together to just to be together. Um, not a whole lot of structure around it, but giving them an opportunity to build those relationships together. And I, you know, I'm curious your thoughts on this too. 
because I think that cultures are fluid. And, and I always say to people, look, this is our culture. And I'm not saying that this is the right thing to do, but this is certainly the behaviors that we're looking for. And if it doesn't work for you, you should go find a place that, that does. Right. And so let's go back to, to hybrid work environments because I'm having this conversation with lots of uh, entrepreneurs, leaders, et cetera, where I'm kind of saying, look, if your belief is that people should be at the office, then double down, then put in your ads that this is a work from the office environment because some people are going to look at that and say, that's, what I'm, that's why I'm leaving because I want people back here. And so I'm, I'm kind of suggesting to some people that they double down in what they want. Don't, don't, you know, I think everyone's being very cautious right now. Oh my goodness, I'm on eggshells. What do I do? I'm saying double down. What do you think? Good advice, bad advice? I think it's good advice. I, I think it is, it, it, it's a matter of, to your point, you're going to design the culture that you want to, to work for you. Now, I have a client who has done that and he has said in no uncertain terms, everybody's going to be in a seat and he lost a few people. I think, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of a risk in terms of I'm not going to be available to everyone because everyone's not going to want this. I might miss out on some top talent. I would just want to know what's the purpose. And there could be a good purpose, but what's the purpose of making sure everyone is there uh, five days a week, eight to five or whatever your, your uh, schedule is. I, I want to make sure that the reason that you're choosing to do that is because you believe it is truly what's going to make that organization gel and be great in what you do. Not what I don't want you to, to make that decision as a leader is because it's familiar to me and it's what I've always known. Therefore, I think it must be that. I think that would be a poor decision. So I think it depends. I, I look, I couldn't agree more. I think you have to dig into, and I think everybody, whether it's work from home, whatever it is, needs to dig into that because my follow-up question to some of those folks is, okay, so if, if this is your purpose, this is your BHAG and all these things that you want to achieve, and you can do that in a hybrid environment. Are you happy? And well, and I put, yeah, the way that I like to, I heard this said the other day, and I, I can't say it enough because I think it's a good way to look at it. If the status quo wasn't the status quo, would you choose it? So was it, break that down for me. If the status quo wasn't the status quo, would you choose it? Which means, just walk me through, I'm stuck on that for some reason. If it, a lot of times we, we are accepting where we are, but mm -hmm. if we had the choice to right. choose where we are, or we have the choice to do something different, better, what would you choose where you are if you could, mm -hmm. or would you choose something different? Would you choose a, uh, how would you mix it up? And you know, I, nothing changes if nothing changes. Um, so if we want something to get better, we, we might have to introduce a little change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I was thinking when you were talking about kind of upgrading and values and changes and, and you think of, of, I think one of the things that, that has come across globally, you know, over the past few years is diversity and inclusion. And, and to me, I was like, wow, we don't have that in our values. We probably need to look at that. You know, right. are you seeing people add that into their values and Absolutely. what has been the biggest theme? Yeah. Yeah. I, that DEI is, is probably um, where we've needed the most shakeup and just understanding what that means, what, what truly being diverse and being inclusive and, and what equity means versus equality. I, we're, I just think we're not very well versed in that. And if we don't have a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy in our organization, it, it'll probably start to show in, in your hiring, in your uh, ability to attract top talent. So yes, I think that's, and even what it all means, I don't think 
we've done a good job educating the, our organizations that it's not, it, that doesn't just mean you don't discriminate. It means so much more than that. But people don't necessarily understand the complexities because no one's really said anything about it until now. Well, it's interesting. I feel like this is similar to back in the Herb Keller days where the word culture wasn't used. Like today, it's just like treat people fairly. Now it's like, no, this is equity, diversity, inclusion. Like this is very different. Correct. Mm, interesting. And so what other, what other trends are you seeing? What are the challenges or problems are you guys solving um, at the culture think tank that, that is happening that's, that's consistent or you know, that is a, a trend of a challenge today? Well, we're, we're seeing a couple of things. One, employees are feeling more empowered than ever to push back on leadership to say this, you know, we don't want it this way. We'd rather have it that way or this, whatever we want. And so there's, there's a voice that, that our frontline employees have always had but it, it's being exercised more. Uh, I think our supervisors and leaders, we all went through something together that we didn't know the answers to. So everyone is kind of in the same boat at the same time. Uh, so I think there's a willing, a, hum, a, a humility, a humbling experience there that has allowed leadership to say, wow, I don't really know. I, I never would have guessed that I would be doing this this way. So I think that that flexibility isn't just that, that we're, our employees are wanting, isn't just flexibility with, whether we work at home or whether we work somewhere else, but the flexibility around why are we doing it the way we're doing it? How can we do it better? And being willing to be, to be nimble and to do things differently. Again, not choosing it just because it's where we are. Right. And what, what are you seeing on organizational design and org charts? Are you seeing any big shifts from your seat? I'm seeing a lot of people with a title with culture in it. Which I have not, which we haven't seen before, uh, um, and and titles like DEI titles. So there's and, and and then having strategies around it. It used to be, you know, culture was something we talked about. Uh, diversity inclusion it was something that we talked about, but we didn't really have a budget for it. We didn't have, we hadn't put resources against it. It was something we talked about, and now I I believe your culture does need a budget. It needs resources. It needs a strategy because it's it's an entity in and of itself because it's a collection of the behaviors of everyone. So um, even if it's an ad hoc committee, you might not be able to hire somebody, but bringing people together at Southwest Airlines, we had the culture committee. We met once a quarter and it was a two-day event and we had probably 50 to, to 60 people on the culture committee. And that was their our primary role every quarter was what in what areas can we improve the culture for the employees first and then secondarily for the, for the customers. I love that. And, and what about the, you know, the, the, I hear you on titles and I, I fully agree. But what about design? You're seeing things flatten out, you know, any different structures popping up with some of your customers? I yeah, I haven't seen any, any org charts necessarily flatten out. I've just seen the, the difference in, in kind of the way we're delivering business. The thing that's, that I'm, I'm frustrated by is uh, being in a frontline situation where people are on their phones all the time. Um, they're delivering customer service in whatever capacity and they're on their phone watching a movie. Um, I, I just, I think that's, that's part of the culture that of our, of our American uh, workforce that is a little bit problematic. Right. And what do we do to combat that? That's, that's a tough one. It's, yeah. I, I, it's a very good one. I, there's, you know, you can, I've got, I've got clients who you know, put down rules about where your phone has to be, and, and it, but 
you have to police it. So it's, I think that's a, I know it's a big problem. It's a big customer service problem. Oh yeah. What, what else, Elise, what else are you thinking about talking about sharing that we haven't covered today? Well, the, the thing that I'm interested in right now, I'm intrigued by is I was giving a, a talk to a Vistage group in Austin this week and uh, one of the gentlemen there, we were talking about how big your organization is. And, you know, he said, I really don't know if this applies to me, this topic of culture, because it's just me. And so I've started to think about the culture of one. And a lot of organizations are one or two people organizations, and there's still a culture. It might just be you. It might be you and two other people. But but don't underestimate that ha- having a, a powerful culture because it's your behaviors, your behavior with your clients. So you can make, even if you're one person or two, you can make culture something interesting and fun for your for you um, and for your employee if you have one or your customers. And I think about you know we hire. You, you think about the dilution of a, of a culture. If we hire from 30 people to 31 people, the, you know, one person gets added into a mix of 30, it changes the culture a little bit, but it's, it's not as much as if I'm a, a person of one and I add my second employee, that's probably the most critical hire that there is. Um, so you, you've doubled your, your staff and um, it's that, so that's, that's what interests me right now is, is what does it look like for those organizations that just have one or two people how do they create their culture? Well, that's interesting. And that's why I was, you know, before the the JetBlue story, when you said, you know, we brought on 50 and then created, I was like, oh, geez, I, I feel like I'd have to undo some things there. And it sounds like you guys did have a strategy. But, you know, uh, when I sold my first business in 2017, I I took our old values and just dusted them off and up, I'll call, upgraded them to what I wanted for the new company. So I wouldn't even, I didn't open the doors for my second business, my real estate company, without having our purpose, our values, all kind of done and dusted. And then we continue to, to kind of upgrade. And, and I've had those, that, the discussion you had with the 50 folks years ago, I have that for the, um, the sub language to really tighten things up. So we are on the same page. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it was Sherry who told me, and I forget, she, had, she said it so beautifully, and it is in the book, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong. But she said, look, your culture is not really alive and certainly not sustainable until it's so ingrained in people that they police it themselves. Right. And I never, I was telling a story yesterday, we, we brought on a chief operating officer not too long ago. We were having a group discussion about something we were, we were just going to say, ah, no, we don't need to deal with that. And he literally brought up our values and read it out to us as a group and said, yeah, but our values say this. And everyone's like, yeah, no, we're doing it now. Yeah, thank you. And I was so excited. I was like, wow, this, this is really, you know, it's not just me anymore. People are calling me out into your, point on the, the power of one, um, I think it should guide the leader's behavior. And, and if you're going to do it, you better be able to live by it. I think there's nothing worse than when a leader puts the values on the board and has the people and culture person push it out and doesn't live by them. No. And, and I don't, I, a couple of things, I don't like when culture gets relegated to human resources, which it often does. And that's, it's not a, it's not a human resources function. It's an entire operation function. So if we have culture tucked away in someone's office and that's their responsibility, it's not going to do what it needs to do. Um, And uh, I, I, again, if we believe the definition of culture that we, uh, you know, we talk about being the collection of the behaviors of the people of the organization, it's everyone's job. Culture is, everyone has an equal part in it. Now for our leaders, they need to, to your point, identify what are those behaviors that are working for our organization and illuminate that path for us 
But once that path is illuminated, yes, to Sherry Conway's point, then we know which way to go. We, you've, you've, the leadership has pointed out the direction. Now we will police one another because it's ours. It's an egalitarian thing. We own it. We feel good about it. Um, and that's why I like the, our values to be talked about. And, you know, let's, let's look at them again and make sure that they still stand the test of time because I want to get buy-in from my employees and people don't buy into anything that they are not going to be able to see themselves successful doing. The way we get buy-in is to make sure people can see themselves as successful and then they will buy in. Um, and before that there it's, that's your values, not mine. Right. And you know, I, it's funny. I think I'm just reflecting on recent conversations I've had and probably kind of how I lead culture in some cases. And I, I'm certainly am harder on senior leaders in the organization. I have a, bigger microscope on them. They need to show up and, and be really aligned. I'm, I'm using aggressive language, but I'm I'm hoping they're so aligned with the cultures that they can live it and execute on it. Are you seeing that as well? Or I'm seeing for the first time that people that I believe gave maybe a little bit of lip service to this whole idea of culture are starting to see how real it is. So yes, they're 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 paying it different attention. It's not just, you know, someone from HR is going to come in and talk to us about culture or diversity, um, that really they're realizing that it's mobilizing a, a generation of people and that our employees matter and we need to listen to them. And no one knows what our culture can be better than our own employees. So we need to talk to them about it and make sure that we're, we're aligned the way that we need to be strategically. And then, then to your point, we double down. That's where I think we double down is this is what we are. This is what we're about. We're all feel good about it. Then if, then if someone doesn't like that, then it's, this is ours. Then uh, we want to hire people that do align to this. And if they don't, we're not for everybody and find a place where you fit better. And if it's not here, then that's great. But this is what we've built. Yeah. Excellent. Well, least really nice to have you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've, I've learned a, a lot. And so thank you. And, and I'm sure our, our listeners will do the same. So thanks for your time today and, and really nice to connect. It's great to connect with you too. And you guys check out the culturethinktank.com and you can see some of the work that we're doing and uh, stay informed on kind of what trends are out there and what you need to do to continue to be successful in your culture. Absolutely. Will do. Thanks, Elise. Thanks, Ron. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to rate the podcast and leave us a positive review. For more information about Delise or her work at The Culture Think Tank, please follow her on LinkedIn or go to theculturethinktank.com. To check out a sample of our one-hour series on building relationships, go to scalingculture.org. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please share with others. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.